Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. If you read my book, Rough Diamonds, there's a chapter in there on finances in which I tell the story of how I ended up getting into debt. I tell the story of how bad I was with money for many years and ended up getting into debt and living that way for way too long. So I know, can empathise with the sick feeling, the fear that comes, that horrible feeling that uh, even though I was on pretty good money at the time, for me, the main reason was simply I was always spending more money than I actually had. I had more month left at the end of the money, as they say, and I had no idea really where it all went because I had no plan, I had no budget, and I just put extra things that I couldn't really afford on store cards or push the overdraft deep red. And that became my norm. And I got into debt a lot more quickly than I got out of it. And I got into debt a lot more easily than I got out of it. Well, people I know struggle with debt for all kinds of different reasons. Um, Often, um, when life situations suddenly change and it it goes out of control and then debt becomes uh, something that gets added into the mix of that as it sort of spirals. So in, in May 2011, I got invited to the headquarters of this amazing ministry called Christians Against Poverty CAP. And I took a staff member then called Nick Duffy, many of you know, and uh, he came along with me because various churches locally had been saying for a long time we could do with a, a CAP centre for South Manchester. I knew that they would only work with a local church. And so I, was it going to be Ivy? I wasn't sure. But I, I thought, well, if I take Nick along and if he gets the vision for this, then um, maybe we could do it like that because uh, then he, he, would, he would set up our, our cap debt centre. One thing I did know on the way to Bradford as we were driving there was that I had no money personally to be able to give to become what they call a life changer, um, like where you give money to the ministry of cap. So I kind of resolved that on the way. Um, but um, you see, by that time, uh, not all of our struggles were over. We, you know, everybody can have uh, times when it's hard. Um, but like most people, um, you know, we, we, we had that. But at the same time, we'd learned over the years to avoid debt as much as possible because the borrower is slave to the lender, the Bible says. And uh, we knew what it felt like to be kind of enslaved. And we had some budgeting in place. And I give Zoe the credit for, for the, all of this because she did the, the planning and a lot of the hard work for us to be able to live differently so that over time we were even able to save a little bit. And early on as Christians, we become tithers, which means you basically take 10% of whatever God gives you and you give it to the local church. And we've been doing that before I ever worked for a church. Um, and it's been an incredible blessing to us in our lives. And we'd also grown our giving over and above that 10% in various ways, year on year, uh, little by little. And we'd found that what Jesus said really is true, that it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. But I also knew that we were maxed out now on the giving. And uh, what happened in Bradford, um, uh, you know, as far as I was concerned, was going to be good, but it was for the ministry of Ivy. I wasn't going to be personally giving. We weren't going to be personally giving to CAP. And then through the day, I heard and I saw more. There was no pressure, but I heard and saw more about the ministry of CAP and this amazing debt counselling ministry started by John Kirby. 
1996, after he himself had lost everything because of debt, and then he had to rebuild. And as he did, he also started to help a few others to be able to rebuild their finances, and it grew and grew from there. And how these partnerships with local churches were helping people to get the help that they needed and the hope that they didn't have. And on top of that, that many, many people through that love that had been expressed in the name of Jesus Christ were themselves finding uh, faith in him. And uh, I, I heard heartbreaking and heartwarming stories so that by lunchtime, I was, I was convinced. I said, I said to Nick, what do you think? Do you think we could start this? And, and uh, we prayed together and we, we were like, yeah, I think he, Nick could be the guy to do it. And we need to come back and talk to the elders about how we're going to find the money to be able to start this thing and do that. And I figured, you see, by that time that by giving to Ivy, we often say if you give to Ivy, you give through Ivy, and that's really true. Uh, and I thought, well, I'm giving to Ivy and that helps us to establish the centre. And so I'd, I'd kind of, again, I had another reason write myself off from being a personal giver to it. Um, and, and, you know, that money that you give if you're a regular giver here at Ivy is the reason we've been able to sustain the work and maintain it through these 10 years now. Um, and so, again, I had all these reasons, really good reasons why I wasn't going to be a cap lifesaver until near the end. And again, there was no pressure on this. It was just the story that they told one of, uh, about, about somebody who'd been helped. And this was a young man, he was about 19, and uh, he, was, he was suddenly left alone because his mum died very suddenly. And then his dad committed suicide. And so he was left on his own. I'll never forget, they said that the reason that he got into uncontrolled, uncontrollable debt um, was because of the two funerals that he had to arrange for his mum and for his dad. And uh, that was, he got so low that he himself now was soon thinking of ending it all himself. Uh, until the day he called Cap for help. And that was the day that somebody from the local church came in like Jesus would do and listened to him and loved him and told him it was gonna be okay and offered to pray before they left, but they took with them this mountain of bills and uh, recovery letters and, and threats and demands. And they contacted, the way that Cap do it, contacts all the creditors and say, right, hands off, we're dealing with this now, we're gonna work on a plan. And so they then went back and they worked with him, a plan of how to do money differently and uh, to control the spending, to save a little bit of money, um, to, to pay some back and yes, to give because giving also breaks the, the spiral of, of, uh, of, the, the, of consumerism. And uh, until as he worked the plan over time, uh, one day he became debt free. And not only that, but he went on an alpha course during that time and he found Jesus in the church that his cap befriender had gone to and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. And now you can sign up today to be um, a, a cap um, member of the cap prayer group. You can even go on a visit with them to go and see the ministry supporting clients. I know that Gail and Aidan are praying for at least six new befrienders, maybe we can have more than that, to be able to come on board with them in this life-changing work. And you can be a lifesaver, a regular giver to CAP. Um, and it was around that time that I'd begun to pray a different kind of a prayer. And, and, and to see an owner prayer 
would say this would would be like would be like what do I do with my money and we, we we think that all the time but but a steward's prayer is going to be more like Lord what do you want me to do with your money and I knew we had to do something so I rang Zoe I think I was in tears as I told her the story of this young man and I said we've got to uh, do it we need to become cap um, lifesavers too we're going to start giving to cap and she said no problem I knew you were going to say that so, so we worked it out. In the second chapter of the letter to the Galatians, the Apostle Paul told the story about how many years before he'd gone to Jerusalem, um, he'd, he'd been a Christ follower for some time, but there were people still had their doubts about him, I'm sure, because as you know, many of you, he used to be a, he was a persecutor of the church. He hated Christians, and then he became this, uh, this a, a Christ follower himself. But he had to go back to Jerusalem, uh, and there he was going to meet with the original apostles, people like Peter and James and John. And again, they were kind of checking him out a little bit and he wasn't going to stay in Jerusalem. He had more of a traveling ministry going to different nations and he wanted to ask them, he said, what they thought was the most important thing. What's like number one um, to, to tell people who become Christians, who become Jesus followers, so that as he went on his, his travels from there, whether they were Jewish people or from other nations, uh, and he says, he says this one thing, and this is really massive because we make this complicated. And I wonder what I wonder what you'd say if somebody was to stop you in the street and ask you what's the most important thing when you when you give your life to Jesus Christ and you say that you're going to be his follower. What's the most important thing that shows whether or not you actually love Jesus? Maybe we'd say worship or or singing or, or, or you know gratitude or or, or praying. Or, and, and maybe we'd make a, a long list of sins that now we have to avoid. Well, here's their answer. And this is from the people, remember, who had spent three years with Jesus Christ, who had left everything behind to come and follow him. And, um, you know, they, they made their lives all about Jesus, which is the title of our series. So Peter, James and John had spent their lives with Jesus Christ. They'd seen the miracles. Um, they'd heard all of his teaching. They saw what mattered to him as they followed him around. They, and... And then they saw him die and rose again and they even spent more time with him after the resurrection, talking to him and being instructed by him. And Peter once summed up Jesus' life by saying he went around doing good and setting people free. So what did they say when they were asked what was the most important thing for somebody who follows him? Did they teach them a list of parables or, or some laws or some religious practices or how to do them? Did they give you know, all complicated lists like that, a creed that they had to memorize? No. In fact, there was only one thing that they told him. You ready? It's in one verse in Galatians 2 verse 10. They only asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do, or most eager to do, it says in some translations. Now, the more I think about that, with over 35 years of being a Christian, with over 25 years as a church leader, the more it annoys me, to be honest with you, because it seems so simple, it actually seems too simple, and, and people often make Christianity seem all very deep and theological and, and complicated, but it seems for them there's only one question on the test paper, and it wasn't about what you know or believe or, or think about Jesus, and, and it wasn't about th um, theory, theological positions about Jesus, it was this, Jesus wants to know, have you remembered the poor? Have you remembered the poor? 
And I imagine, you know, I could say, well, yeah, I remember the poor. I know that there's lots of poor people. There's always poor people around. Um, but he didn't give any credit for that unless I actually do something about it, about them. Sometimes we Christians have let ourselves off the hook on this because of one particular verse and one particular story. It happened in a different part of the Bible. Uh, we can hear, read about it. When, when, um, in Matthew's Gospel, it says that Jesus was invited to the home of a, a guy, a leader, called Simon the leper and uh, in the town of Bethany. And a woman, it's an amazing story, this woman comes in and, and anoints him because she knows he's the Messiah and, and, and uh, she believes him to be that Messiah means anointed one. So she pours out this really expensive uh, perfume all over Jesus while he's in the house. And it's this extravagant act of love and worship. And, and, um, and, and when that happens, it says some people objected to it, especially Judas. Judas, who we know was a thief. Judas, who we know was very soon, a few days later, going to betray Jesus for money, starts to complain and says, oh, we could have taken, the, the, this is really expensive. We could have used that money instead. We could have given it to the poor. And, um, and it's that is when Jesus says these words in Matthew 26, verse 11. He says, the poor you will always have with you. And ever since then, people have kind of used that as an excuse to be able to say, well, you know, the world's always going to have super rich people. It's always going to have poor people. And there's, there's nothing really I can do about that. There's nothing we can do about that. The, you know, it is what it is. The, the inequality is inevitable. We can't really do anything about it. When author and justice campaigner Jim Wallace does a, a, a talk, a, a, he often does a short Bible quiz to his American audiences, and he asks, what's the most famous biblical text about the poor? Every time he says he receives the same answer, the poor you'll always have with you. This is what people have heard. But we miss what Jesus was saying there when he said it, because we don't actually know our Bibles like the people he was talking with know our Bibles. Because everybody who heard him say that line, the poor you will always have with you, everybody knew. It's, it's like, you know a song. Um, they, the, if, you, if somebody says the first line, you would automatically add the second line in your mind. Like if I said, today is gonna be the day some of you know the second line. Or, you know, sweet Caroline. We might even put the words on the bottom of here. We probably won't, because you know them in your heads. And so when he says, the poor you will always have with you, Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament. Actually, their scriptures, it wasn't Old Testament to them. It's what they'd known since they were children. And Deuteronomy chapter 15, if you went and looked and opened your Bible at that, you're going to see Deuteronomy 15 is all about what? Cancelling debts. God had brought his people out of Israel, where they, out of Egypt, where they'd been slaves, and they were going to go into the promised land. And, and uh, he didn't want them to, in the future, be stuck in the misery again of, of slavery and he, and he knew that debt can be a form of of, of just it, it keeps people captive and holds them captive so they're not free so he says in Deuteronomy 15 I'm going to set up a system he says this is what I want you to do every seven years all, all debts are cancelled it's like nobody no there's no debt that you've accumulated it's not going to be allowed to accumulate and get worse and worse and worse from generation to generation so it never spirals out of control 
It's like, you know, when I, play, when I was a kid, did you ever play kick the can? And uh, it's like, you know, you, you get caught and then you have to stand by the person who spotted you, who caught you, you've got to stand by the can and you can't go anywhere until somebody comes along and boof, they boot the can and then it's like, yay, we all get to go free. And that's what God wanted his people to have enjoy life like that so they wouldn't be be trapped by debt so he sets up this amazing system in Deuteronomy 15 verse 4 and he actually says this there need be no poor people among you if actually if we were equitable if we were fair then nobody needs to be poor there's plenty for everybody if we were to share and and that's why God didn't want his people to be stuck in debt the sad truth of that is God prescribed that amazing pattern and these people never did it. They never obeyed it. I suppose they always found a really good reason not to do it this year. You know, this year we can't really do it. Maybe we'll do it in, in, in we'll give it another seven years and then we'll see how we are 14 years on or, or 21 years. Or, and it went on and on and on like that and it just got worse and worse until, because they never actually did it, that's the reason why generations later, once again, the people of Israel went in, were made to go into exile. And were, uh, and were slaves again because they never did what God prescribed for them. And remember, I said the people who Jesus was talking to in Simon's house would know this passage and that it was all about setting people free and, and caring for the poor and there needing to be no poor among them. And so the second line of what he was quoting is, is from verse 11. It says there, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. There's no out there. If you've ever been at a party and somebody asks you what happened, you'll probably remember it slightly differently. And Mark's gospel records the eyewitness of Peter who remembered slightly differently what he heard Jesus say that night. Add something slightly different if you look at it. Mark 14 verse 7 says, The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them any time you want. Now, for the last 10 years, what the Ivy Centre has been doing, the CAP Centre, is just brilliant. Started by Nick, then passed on to Gail, and then later with help from Aidan, and all the time being helped by many people and many teams. Um, they've been able to run the Cap Money Centre, they've been at course, they've been able to um, run the, the Job Club, uh, they've been able to um, do debt courses and, and also to set up the debt centre that has seen over a hundred people set free from debt, which is just amazing, 100 clients. So that also represents families very often too. That, you know, we've been part of something absolutely amazing and miraculous that's gonna make a difference. So we are praying for you now, and we're praying for the more than 100 clients who have gone debt free, and many other people who have been helped, and actually some people now who are part of Ivy, or part of other churches now who found Jesus through this ministry too. And it all happened because you were open-handed like God commanded. It happened because you remembered the poor like Jesus wants us to. The very thing that the Lord is most eager that we should do. So, Jesus told a story, a parable of the talents. When somebody was given one talent, somebody was given two talents, somebody was given five. Not everybody starts out with the same. Not everybody has the same. And the last 
two, the ones who, who got the three and the five, they took what they'd been given and they used them imaginatively and wisely. And, the, and he says that the master commended them for that, said, well done for that. But the one who had one talent was scared. He's frightened he might get it wrong, so he didn't do anything with it. He buried it in the ground. And he ended up being the one who the master told off because he said, you know, you shouldn't have played it safe. Fear over money will make that happen. I know that's true. That's why today we have a challenge and an opportunity for those of you who are in our physical gatherings today. We're going to give you some of God's money. Uh, it's actually some of the money that people here at Ivy obviously have given during the time that they have become regular givers here to Ivy. We're going to give you some of that back. Not a lot, really. Um, but if you'll join in with this, if you say, yes, you want to do this, then what we'd love you to do is to receive it and then ask the, the, uh, the steward question, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? It's as simple as that. Uh, you know, you pray and you decide what you're going to do with it. Um, and actually what you might decide is, actually, I don't want to even ask that question. I just, I don't want to do it. No, thank you. And that's fine. Uh, other people, you might decide, well, I just want to give it back and you can give it straight back into uh, the buckets um, that are going to be available in the room. Um, you know, you always decide what you're going to do with everything that God gives us, I suppose. But when you open these envelopes, you're going to see there is some money in there. And if today you're struggling, then just keep it and be blessed. It's fine. We want you to bless people and that's entirely fine. Just give, receive it with our love and do something nice with it. Or... Again, if you don't want to join in, you can just give it back um, on the way out. But what we would love as part of our 10-year cap celebrations today is to think, how could you remember the poor with that money? Maybe you could decide to do something. Maybe you could send it off, send it to cap. Or you could, um, you could um, do something else with it. You could, it could be as simple as blessing the homeless person that you pass, that you feel that the Lord says, go and give it to them. Or the big issue person or whatever. Or maybe you could join together as a family and pray and ask that question. And maybe as a grow group, you could say, Lord, what do you want us to do with this? Whether or not you're in one of our buildings today, God has put something in your hand to be open-handed with and it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. So let's find a way today and we want this to be done before Christmas so that we can all do something that helps the poor as we remember the poor who are always with us and we can always help. Thanks for listening. For more podcasts, go to ivychurch.org media.